Hello, listeners, and welcome to Monsters Advocate. Monsters Advocate is a bi-weekly podcast focused around the unsung heroes of myths and legends, the monsters. We'll take a look at some monster-centric myths and legends, some not-so-ancient cryptids, and everything in between, and try to sort out possible origin species, biological impetus for why they do what they do, and why we love to hear about them. The English language is full of idioms, like when pigs fly, and horses feathers, and like finding hen's teeth, which are all meant to imply something is impossible. These phrases aren't meant to have any basis in reality. But as we know, animals don't always have to play by those rules. In 2006, in a research collaboration between the University of Manchester and the University of Wisconsin, scientists re-examined a 50-year-old finding of an unusual baby chicken. The specimen, called Talpid, had died prior to hatching 50 years ago and displayed a number of genetic defects, such as misshapen limbs and an irregular beak. What brought the attention of these scientists, though, was what was inside the beak. Because Talpid, like something out of Alfred Hitchcock's worst nightmares, sported a full set of baby teeth. Conical, reptilian baby teeth. Scientists were, of course, delighted to discover this, and were able to create more talpids by inducing tooth growth through turning on certain gene pathways in the chicks in the lab. And, before I hear one breath about GMOs, there was no splicing of chickens and crocodiles. Think of it more like... an awakening. You see, DNA is, for all its beautiful complexity, essentially like code written by the world's laziest programmer. It contains every previous instance in a species' evolutionary pathway. Code to create an organism resembling a fish. Code to create a reptile. Code to create a dinosaur. It's all there in the chicken's DNA, turned off by a chemical off-switch, which is bound to the beginning and the end of that particular sequence of nitrogen bases, and that prevents it from being expressed as the organism develops. All the scientists had to do was to turn the switch back on. I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say that Jurassic Park is always on my mind. Not just the movies, though I have to admit I've thoroughly enjoyed them all, but the idea of coexisting in the same time and place as giant bipedal predators and herbivores that give even African elephants a run for their money fills me with longing for a thing I've never known. I know I'm not alone in that either. The world of cryptids is full of dinosaurs that lurk all across the world. Feathered cattle rustlers in the outback. A devil in the pine woods of California. More than one giant something in the Congo. And don't even get me started on the pterosaurs. And because I couldn't possibly fit all of my favorites in just one episode, this episode will be a two-parter. Let's kick things off in South America. When many people think of South America, they think of wide expanses of tropical rainforest. South America has so many more biomes than just tropical rainforests, though. And to encounter one, one needs to look no further than the Atacama Desert. The Atacama Desert is a 128,000 square kilometer or 49,000 square mile large desert in Chile 
that is so dry that it actually receives less precipitation than polar deserts. The landscape of the area has been compared to a moonscape, with salt lakes, stony terrain, sand, and lava flows making up the majority of the terrain. It's an environment that's so inhospitable that some weather stations in the Atacama Desert have never experienced rainfall. In fact, strong evidence suggests that the entire desert region did not receive significant rainfall from 1570 to 1971. The Atacama is the oldest region of hyperaridity on Earth, existing in its arid state for at least 3 million years. Because of these extreme conditions, humans sparsely populate the area, populations existing only in areas of greater humidity and less than zero precipitation. Sometimes these bastions are so far apart that only one main road links one human settlement to the next, such is the case for the cities of Iquique and Arica. And in 1980, reports begin to emerge that something else was making use of that road, too. It was described at around six feet tall, unusually large for a desert-dwelling animal. It was feathered and fast often described as running alongside the motor vehicles it was spotted from. It was bipedal, with shorter forelimbs, and teeth that looked sharp. For all intents and purposes, people were seeing a creature that should have been extinct since the late Cretaceous period. People were seeing a dromaeosaur. Newspapers in the cities of both Arica and Iquique began collecting eyewitness reports of what became dubbed the Arica Monster. The reports came in from unconnected drivers, driving from different directions at different times of day. Then, just as suddenly as they had flooded in, the reports became sporadic, just occasional notes of interest. That is, until the summer of 2004. The following accounts are from a newspaper in Iquique called La Estrella. On July 30th, 2004, a Thursday, a military official named Hernán Cuevas, his wife, his two children, and a driver named Dario Riquelme were driving a Terreno pickup between the cities of Iquique and Arica around 9.30 p.m. The group was only a few minutes outside of Arica and was having a normal conversation, when suddenly, something darted into the road in front of them. Hernán exclaimed, Look at that tremendous beast! and Dario hit the brakes as a second creature followed the first into the road, ambling past the now-stopped vehicle on two legs. He remarked to the newspaper, It was just like a dinosaur, walking on two legs. It had very noticeable thighs. The group was in shock. Hernan said, When the first crossing occurred, I asked Dario if he had seen it, and he said yes. Then we started making comments as to what it might have been. Shortly after, another one walked by, shorter, but very similar to a dinosaur or a lizard, but running on two legs. Both men commented that they were struck by the speed at which the creatures crossed the road, and the length of their strides. Then on Monday, August 2nd, six members of the Abet de la Torre Diaz family were making their way home to Arica, when they encountered creatures that they described as dog-faced kangaroos. Carmen, the daughter of the driver, Carlos Abet de la Torre, recalled the approach of the creatures. Two of the beings flew over the vehicle, another two appeared, but this time darting in front of the vehicle, 
Teresa Diaz, Carmen's mother, was sitting in the passenger seat of the vehicle and had the best view of the unknown animals. The creatures were moving slowly over the car at first, and then in front of it, they appeared to match the vehicle's speed, which was 100 kilometers or 60 miles per hour. The creatures were as close as 20 meters or 66 feet to the vehicle at the time of the incident. After the encounter, several of the four young children who had been in the car expressed distress at the idea of leaving the city by the same road. Fossils of several species of dromaeosaur have been found in the area. The name Dromaeosauridae means running lizard, and members of this family, such as the Velociraptor, were feathered theropods built for running and chasing prey, possibly in coordinated groups. No major sightings of the Arica monster have been reported on since 2004, but this is not necessarily a deal breaker for cryptids. After all, the desert is an awfully big place. Our next guest is not technically a dinosaur, so I hope you'll forgive me for the generalization. In September 2001, a 19-year-old boy was driving along Route 119 in Pennsylvania when he began to hear an unusual sound. He described the sound as loud and repetitive, similar to flags being blown around in a thunderstorm. When he looked up, he was amazed to see a creature with a 10 to 15 foot or 3 to 5 meter wingspan and a strange elongated head flying directly above his car. Sightings continued over the next several months in the surrounding Greensville and Erie counties. The creature soon became associated with other encounters throughout the United States that some people have begun to call Quetzalcoatlus sightings, but others have simply called Thunderbird sightings. One of the earliest accounts of one of these sightings is an 1890 encounter that occurred in either Texas or Arizona, depending on the report you read. The story goes that two ranchers were riding in the desert, between the Whetstone and the Wauchucha Mountains, when a giant, bird-like creature with an enormous wingspan, seemingly exhausted, flew low over the pair of men. After the initial shock, the men pursued the creature over a distance of several miles, the creature was only able to fly a short distance at a time, and each time they got within firing distance, the men shot at it, wounding the already weakened animal. The creature finally turned on the men, but already severely wounded, the men were able to avoid its mouth and talons long enough to fire several direct shots, at which point the creature collapsed to the earth, dead. The men dismounted and inspected the dead creature, which they reported to have smooth, hairless skin, featherless wings like a bat, and a face that resembled an alligator, teeth and all. Its eyes were as large as dinner plates, and its head was about eight feet long. After some difficulty, they straightened one wing enough to get a wing measurement of about 78 feet, or 24-ish meters, making a total wingspan of 160 feet, or 49 meters. With no small amount of dragging, the men dragged the carcass back to town, and even took a photograph of the creature, with its wings spread across the entire length of a barn. This photo was dubbed the Thunderbird photo. And, like the creature itself, no one since has ever been able to corroborate its existence. In the 1940s, several sightings occurred in Illinois and Missouri. On April 10th, 1948, 
three separate people in Overland, Illinois, looked up and spotted what they originally thought to be a passing plane. That is, until they saw that the wings were flapping. A few weeks later, in Alton, Illinois, a man and his son saw what they described as a gigantic flying creature with a body shaped like a naval torpedo. The father and son claimed that the creature was flying at at least 500 feet, or 152 meters, and cast a shadow on the ground as large as a small passenger airplane. At the same time as these sightings, the residents of St. Louis, Missouri, were seeing something overhead as well, and some residents even wrote letters to the mayor, demanding the city do something about these giant birds. The mayor instructed an administrative assistant to set a trap to catch one of these creatures, but the case was officially closed when blue heron tracks were discovered on an island in the Merrimack River. So what were these sightings? North America was home to several species of giant bird during the prehistoric, including Pelagornis sandersi, an extinct flying bird with the largest wingspan for a bird ever recorded, 20 to 24 feet or 6.1 to 7.4 meters. Sandersi even had a feature that most pterosaurs don't, pseudoteeth that run the length of its beak, which might help to account for encounters where the creature has a full set of teeth, such as the 1890 cowboy encounter. Bird species like Pelagornis sandersi and Argentavis, the flying bird with the second largest wingspan, would certainly go a long way towards providing an explanation for Native American legends about the Thunderbird. What about those leathery wings, though? For theorists unsatisfied with the explanation of extinct birds, North America also used to play host to several species of flying reptile, which is where Quetzalcoatlus northropi comes in. Northropi existed in North America during the late Cretaceous, and belonged to a family of pterosaurs named Asdarchidae, notable for their toothless mouths and unusually long, stiff necks. This pterosaur is estimated to have had a minimum wingspan of around 36 feet, or 11 meters. When standing, this creature's shoulders would have come to about 9.8 feet, or 3 meters. Many scientists have theorized that this pterosaur spent much of its time soaring, but hunted and scavenged on terrestrial animals such as the contemporary Alamosaurus. Of course, with the popularity of birdwatching throughout the ages, it's unlikely that a population of Quetzalcoatlus could have gone unnoticed. But it is interesting to note that if the 1890 sighting did occur in Texas, then it wouldn't have been far from where the first fossils of Quetzalcoatlus northropi were discovered in 1971. For our last monster, we take a trip to California to meet the devil. The Lone Pine Mountain Devil is a winged carnivore that is thought to inhabit the wilderness and mountainous regions of Southern California and Northern Mexico. Usually described as a large and furry creature with multiple sets of wings and venomous razor-sharp fangs, the Lone Pine Mountain Devil is a cryptid on a mission, and that mission is to eat faces. According to the early settlers of California, this creature's primary method of prey capture was ambush, leaping onto its quarry and attacking the head and torso with venomous fangs and talons. Once its victim was dead, the devil would then indulge in only the softer cartilage areas around the face and the torso, leaving the rest of the carcass to rot. The best-known documentation of human interaction with the Lone Pine Mountain Devil came in 1878, 
when a stagecoach train of Spanish settlers disappeared in the Sierra Nevada mountains in Southern California. A group of 37 settlers, men, women, and children, went missing for two months. Their corpses were rediscovered by a group of copper miners. The following is an account pretty much wholesale lifted from one source, because it was too good a story to simplify. Weeks had passed since their scheduled arrival at a missionary about 110 miles north of San Diego, when a lone priest, Father Justus Martinez, approached the mission. He had no horse and no supplies, only the clothes on his back and a journal. He was on the verge of death from hunger and thirst. Upon questioning, the priest informed the others that while on his journey, he had taken a vow of silence when he was confronted by beasts damned by the good lord. The last entry in his journal was related to the disappearance of the Spanish convoy in the mountains. In it, he describes the settlers, weary from their cross-continent journey, taking part in a celebration to honor St. Roderick. The celebration escalated into a riotous orgy, and the settlers began to burn trees for heat and light as the party carried on into the dark hours of the night. The priest writes that he took refuge by himself in a small tent on the outside of the convoy, and that he watched as winged demons swarmed from the trees and attacked the settlers. His final entry of the journal read, My God, my God, they are all gone. The winged demons have risen. What sin have they committed against each other in thy sacred earth? May the forgiving Lord not abandon their souls, which were taken from them into the depths of hell, and through the earthly fires of man, a soul tree remained on the mountain's peak. And the devils that spared me returned to the refuge of the Lone Pine on the mountain. The Lone Pine Mountain Devil saw a rise in notoriety after 49ers began discovering numerous coyote and bobcat carcasses in the deserts and mountain wilderness in the mid-19th century. After the rise in dead predators was contributed to the Lone Pine Mountain Devil, it wasn't long until more missing convoys of settlers began to be blamed on the devil as well. Some believe the Lone Pine Mountain Devil only preys on other predators those creatures who did not contribute to the overall well-being of its habitat. Some people even view this creature as a protector, emerging only when the wilderness regions it inhabits come under attack. After years in decline, the new millennium has seen a sudden jump in mountain devil sightings. Californian cryptozoologists have stated that they have recorded an exponential rise between 2003 and 2010 in devil sightings. So how is the Lone Pine Mountain Devil a dinosaur? Well, based on its given physiology, multi-winged, furry, and possibly venomous, some cryptozoologists have posited that the devil is a species of winged theropod, specifically a microraptor, one of the largest of which is a species called Cynoornithosaurus. Cynoornithosaurus was a microraptor species that was covered in feathers from head to toe and possessed long feathers on both its forelimbs and hindlimbs. While it was likely not capable of flight, some researchers suggest that these feathers may have allowed it to glide for short distances after leaping out of trees. This species was estimated to be about 4.27 feet, or 1.3 meters long, and possessed unusually long and fang-like maxillary teeth, 
In fact, in 2009, a group of researchers noted that several features in Cyanornithosaurus's skull and dentition suggest that it may have been venomous, including pronounced grooves running down the outer surface of the rear of these large maxillary teeth, a trait shared with some venomous snakes, as well as a cavity in the jawbone just above the teeth that might have served as a site for a soft tissue venom gland. This claim has, of course, been hotly debated since, but it's certainly an interesting theory. It's also one that's unlikely to be resolved anytime soon, as a soft tissue venom gland would naturally not have fossilized along with the bone. So the only way for either side to be 100% vindicated would be to study a living specimen, which is, as far as we know, impossible. Unless maybe they try looking in Death Valley. I hope you enjoyed our Dinosaur Safari Part 1. Next time we'll be looking on other continents, but if you want to continue the hunt in North and South America, try excavating out the show notes. Musical score as well as intro and outro were done by certified Velociraptor Wrangler Scott Ethington. Find music to soothe any saurian at Bazooka Raccoon on SoundCloud.com. Finally, if you like what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes or consider donating to our Patreon. Every little bit helps, and more support means I'm more motivated to do the best job I can to bring you more monsters. Thank you for listening, and remember, anyone can be a monster. <laughs>